Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Welcome, Dev. Tonight's sutta is called the Sadhamma. It's a very short sutta, but it's a sutta that is relevant on the subject of restraint. And I think it's appropriate that uh, I read the purpose statement that we have. We took a little time to put our thoughts together because we saw in our Sangha, which is a well-focused Sangha, we, we keep it pretty tight to what uh, John has restored. There's not a lot of speculation on other writers or other teachers uh, and we respect that but we saw that even in a small group uh, that only gather twice a week that we were having more and more discussions on you know quibbling about words and uh, other like bringing other teachers into the discussion and uh, we thought it was time to create this purpose statement so uh, and once we get into this the teaching you can see that the same thing was happening 2600 years ago during the Buddhist time not just after he passed away but during his time and in, in the like middle and end of his ministry that these things were coming up that people wanted to change what he was teaching, uh, the, the monastic life, they were challenging how austere it was. And uh, even then it was causing uh, discord among the Sangha. So this is our purpose statement. Becoming Buddha Cross Meditation Center preserves and presents a human Buddhist Dhamma initially recorded as the second book of the Pali Canon, the Sutta Pitaka. Our practice is informed from over 300 curated suttas restored by John to their original intent and practical focus. Our practice is empty of imagined insight, magical thinking, mystical grasping after, and unfounded speculation. Our teachers and students remain focused on these suttas to develop a direct mindful experience of establishing a well-concentrated, supple, and conflict mind through the Eightfold Path. So I'm just going to pause here. Again, when we get into this teaching, you will see some of the very things that uh, in the first paragraph is mentioned during the, uh, the Buddha's answer. So uh, you know, keep that in mind. Uh, it is the Eightfold Path that Siddhartha Gautama taught over the last 45 years of his life 
with the sole purpose of abandoning self-inflicted stress and suffering through and ending ignorance of the Four Noble Truths. These guidelines support a well-informed and well-focused Sangha and establish the most effective environment for Dhamma practice, always focused on liberation and ignorance. Becoming Buddha Cross Meditation Center is a true refuge from the chaos of the world and ideological contradictions and fundamental confusion prevalent in modern Buddhism by common agreement. Our practice is framed by the Eightfold Path, which establishes a skillful balance of jhana meditation, sutta study, sangha participation, and daily individual dhamma practice. When gathered for the dhamma class, we, we refer only to the Buddha's dhamma as restored by John and presented by our teachers. When gathered as a sangha, we accept responsibility for maintaining the gentle integrity of our sangha. When gathered as a sangha, we are free of grasping after magical, mystical, and speculative concepts and fabricated experiences. When gathered as a sangha, we practice wise restraint. Questions or confusions about verbiage or arising from comparison to modern Buddhist practices, modern Buddhist teachers, or what they are teaching are not part of our Dhamma classes or sangha discussions and should only be addressed directly to our teachers outside of the Dhamma class. Individual class suttas are linked to our newsletter for home study prior to our class. Hey. So, simple rules of the road. And uh, we really didn't have to work too hard on that. We didn't have to take a bunch and then whittle it down to what we presented. It, it became very clear, especially to John, uh, what the issue was and really refocus to what we're learning here. So tonight's teaching is the Sadama Sutta. Uh, Dhamma means true Dhamma. And I'll start with John's words. The Sadama Sutta answers a question about the need for additional rules of behavior within the Sangha as the Sangha developed. So the Buddha's ministry lasted 45 years. So just imagine as an organization, we're all part of different organizations. Uh, as they grow, the first teachers move on, the second and third and fourth generation teachers. So you can see how in any organization, as it develops, how it can get watered down by people who don't just have a speck of dust in their eye. They come with you know, their past practices, their own desires, their own sufferential views. So again, it's core studies restraint and you won't find the word restraint in this whole sutta or commentary but really restraint at the point of contact is what Larry was talking about right before we went into dinner he was he mentioned he was looking for some restraint in his life what this practice provides is really a 
a working version of restraint because it's based on understanding. The intense desire to alter the Dhamma to fit confused views rooted in ignorance of the Four Noble Truths has persisted until today. This has resulted in many contradictory Buddhist religions that together present a confusing Dhamma. What has developed is at best ineffective in developing the stated purpose of the Buddha's teaching. And this is all the Buddha ever taught. I teach the origination of Dukkha and the cessation of Dukkha. Nothing more. That's all he ever taught. So, in our purpose statement, we avoid all the mystical and all the speculative. We deal with what comes when you develop concentration through jhana meditation and the mindfulness that is developed and refined so you can, as Shane said, always be present. The Buddha was in Savadhi in Jita's Grove at Athapadika's monastery, a senior monk, Mahakasapa. And just to pause, for those who have been on uh, retreat and uh, joined us, uh, he's just not a bhikkhu. He's a senior bhikkhu. He is a disciple of the Buddha. So in the Anapanasati Sutta, when at the beginning there's a long list of venerable teachers who are there to teach a ever-growing <coughs> larger group of uh, new disciples. He was the third one right after Sariputta and Mogalana. He was the f often referred to as the father of the Sangha. So this man is not just uh, someone who you know, had a question for the Buddha. He had grave concerns about the state of the Sangha. And he went to the Buddha with a question. Why is it that there are more training rules than ever before, yet fewer Sangha members developing full understanding? The Buddha answers, Kasapa, this is a direct result of what occurs when beings are denigrating and the true Dhamma begins to disappear. This would not occur when a counterfeit Dhamma has not arisen in the world, but will always occur when counterfeit Dhammas are revered. And John always points out that revered is an interesting word because it points toward wanting things to be different than what they are. And it really rolls into the Four Noble Truths. The Buddha continues, Just as there are no diminishing or disappearing disappearance of gold when there is no counterfeit gold, when counterfeit Dhamma is present, it diminishes the value of the true Dhamma and can be completely obscure the true Dhamma. In the same way, when there is no counterfeit Dhamma in the world, there will be no diminishing or disappearance of my teachings. It is not the nature of the world to cause the true Dhamma to disappear. It is foolish people who arise within the Sangha that cause the true Dhamma to disappear. 
the true Dhamma disappears gradually within, like a boat slowly sinking. So again, these just imagine decades into the Buddha's ministry, more and more people are coming from the countryside wanting to join the Buddha. But there are less and less people like Kasapa who were forest dwellers, lived an austere life of a monastic. Uh, they wanted to change the, uh, the life that he was living. And it was causing problems within the Sangha. So again, even during the Buddha's time this was happening. So imagine when the Buddha passed away the need to add more and more rules were taking place. So the Buddha was saying this even during his time period and I think Kasapa was was a grave concern about it and you, you can see that you need to add the rules to control the crowds but the reality that they were trying to water down the Buddha's uh, teachings and again which way do you go with that? Do you put more and more rules on to control the, the Sangha or do you fall back to what was seen during the, the, the Buddhist time when the Anapanasati Sutta took place. He was pleased by that gathering, a well-focused Sangha. So the Buddha presents that there are five unskillful qualities that confuse people and lead the disappearance of the true Dhamma. Those that live with disrespect for true teachers and really, when he says that, it's not just the teachers, it's the actual Buddha himself. Those that lived with disrespect for the Dhamma, those that lived with disrespect for the Sangha, those that lived with disrespect for the Eightfold Path, and those that lived with disrespect for deepening concentration. So let's just go back through some of those. The first three are a reference to the Three Gems, the Triple Refuge. So just that alone, it's to, that's the basis of the Sangha. And it's not like when the Buddha encountered the Kalamas and they had questions for the Buddha because there were so many teachers going through the town that the Kalamas were from this is within his own Sangha that they were openly questioning and disrespecting the teachers. And oftentimes during the, the, the suttas with uh, Kasapa, it would often be presented that he was becoming more and more frustrated by the Sangha, that they weren't listening, they weren't as diligent, they they were more likely to follow 
a popular teacher versus a, a teacher that was truly teaching the Dhamma. Also found it very interesting that they live with disrespect for deepening concentration. So even that is pointing toward that they weren't necessarily even doing jhana meditation. They were looking for uh, you know, speculative different realms and that was their, their, their goal. Even though they were within the Sangha, they were trying to change the Dhamma. And again, what we teach and practice here is deeper and deeper meditative concentration, absorption for the purpose of insight to the three marks of existence. That's as simple as it is. It's nothing more than that. There's nothing magical about it. There's nothing mystical about it. You know, Shane was saying earlier that he just wants to go to a cave and meditate for 30 years. But it's as simple as that. It's We're not looking to do anything more than have insight. And you can only have insight when you develop your concentration. The Buddha continues. These are the five unskillful qualities that confuse people and lead the disappearance of the true Dhamma. My friends, there are five skillful qualities that develop stability and clear insight that will preserve the true Dhamma. Those that live with respect for the true teachers, those that live with respect for the Dhamma, those that live with respect for the Sangha, those that live with respect for the Eightfold Path, those that live with respect for the deepening concentration. These are the five skillful qualities that develop stability and clear insight that will preserve the true Dhamma. Upon hearing the Buddha's words, those assembled were delighted. That's the end of the sutta. Thank you, David. <clears throat> I'll just finish up with John's comments, just a little bit of it, with it. As has been seen from the time of the Buddha to today, there will always be a strong desire to accommodate the Buddha's teachings to fit conditioned views of what the Buddha should be. This isn't right or wrong. It's simply what has occurred and will continue to occur as long as individuals adapt the Buddha's direct teachings to fit conditioned views. As we saw with our purpose statement, even within a small sangha like this, people were coming in wanting to introduce different things. And John's mentioned in the past where people wanted to bring poetry and trying different things to kind of make it a little more fun. And uh, we do keep it very tight to what John has presented. And now that we have five more teachers, you won't find a lot of variation on 
any of our approaches. Uh, it's just, uh, I think we all see the effectiveness of it. There's no need to add a lot to it. And if somebody does want to talk about something differently, feel free to go down to the early bird and, you know, have that intellectual conversation. But here, we really do stick to the curated teachings of John. And I, I think in any sangha that doesn't do that, it can only bring confusion to certainly new people, but anyone having conflict as their practice develops. So out of compassion to a person like a Shane who's fairly new. Or me. Or you. Or myself. I stick to what we're learning here and I don't try to embellish it. I don't try to make it any more fancy than what it is. It's not an easy practice, but it's a simple practice. Think of what the Buddha just laid out here. Five things. The triple refuge, and it's almost redundant because he's saying the heartwood of the Dhamma, which is the Eightfold Path. And then the core of what it is, and not that any one part of the Eightfold Path is more important than the other, but really the foundation is the jhana meditation. That our meditation is strictly for deepening concentration so we can have refined mindfulness. So I don't worry about the future. I don't regret the past. I just deal with what's right here and right now. So where we go around the room, I think we still have... Hi, Jane. Hi, David. Thank you so much for the teaching. Um, I was fortunate, I think, in that I didn't have any other Buddhist views or anything when I started, so that I could start fresh. And uh, in my humble opinion, and I mean that sincerely because I find the, the Buddhist Dhamma humbling. I mean, how he came up with with what he did. He got it right, and there's no need to fix what's not broken, and, you know, I'm fortunate that I'm with a Sangha that, that understands this, and so, I'm fortunate. We all are, and if you really think what happened after the Buddha passed away, and again, Kasapa, was not the successor of the Buddha. The Buddha felt that all that was needed was his Dhamma and the Vinayas, and that was it. And that's all I taught. That's, that's, and when I think of that time period and think about the, the gravity of the Buddha and that being gone, I don't know if 
the Buddha was being naive or overly optimistic, but the reality that that gravity being gone, they, Kasaba knew right away that they needed to gather as a group and establish what exactly were these teachings and how to preserve them and you know set up some rules and even though he wasn't the Buddha's successor uh, they needed to establish how the this Sangha this growing Sangha after 45 years was going to continue and I don't know if it's was successful at all, John, was it? No. The second, second council was already the major split. Mm -hmm. That was 300 BC. So Every what we have here is... So there was a desire. In fact, I would yeah. say that the reason why they formed councils were, was twofold. One was to ostensibly protect the Buddhist Dhamma, but more to adapt it to modern times. So every couple hundred years there was a new Buddhist council. And there was always a group that resisted that, but usually the, like today, the loudest voices win. And so there was always an adaptation and accommodation and embellishment for Dhamma. But I think because of, it really is the truth. I remember when I started looking, my thought was, if a human being actually taught this, it can't be this complicated and contradictory that it, by necessity, have to be simple. To me, I always believe that truth is simple. And when I started looking at the suttas and looking for what is simple here and what is complicated by embellishment, then it became clear that yeah, he taught he taught this stuff that you can strip out of the noise of his day and you can still strip it out of the noise of our day by looking for what what would be applicable to a human being and what's not. Take out what a human being can't develop. It's just a simple thing. Mm. And it should be noted that the, our teachers, before they began their teacher training, agreed to speak to teach only the Dhamma to develop that. And when they got those most valuable certificates, uh, they agreed to do that again. And, and in so doing, we're carrying on that tradition that the original Sangha understood. The first Buddhist council they decided that yeah, if we're going to teach the Dhamma, we're going to keep it pure, and those who don't want to do that can go someplace else and, and we're still here you know again the most remarkable thing to me in my life is that this simple dhamma mm. is still here today it's still useful thank you brian how are you hi david thank you for the teaching um well thanks um a, a couple things one the the absolute timelessness of the human condition and there's, there's a comfort in this today to know that the people with a direct relationship with the Buddha were going through the same things. Um, and there, there's also this, this subtle, subtle call to the, the defilements in here that if you're looking for something outside of this, or you want this to be different, it's greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. This, this is it. You don't need to embellish it or polish it. It's, this is what it is. So, again, deeply comforting on multiple levels. So thank you. Thank you. It's, it's motivating <clears throat> to, to know if you 
have a high fidelity to what the Buddha is teaching, that you see results. And when you try to embellish it or accommodate it or chop a little bit out here and there, that that's when you have confusion and get discouraged and look for something else. And uh, thank you. Good evening, Dev. Good to see you, David. Hey, Dev. Uh, I'll continue to listen. Thank you, Dev. Brett, my friend. Good to be here. Uh, thanks for the <clears throat> teaching. Um, I guess what I got out of it was just, uh, you know, <clears throat> fix it. If, you, if you're trying to fix it or change it or solve it, uh, Matt likes to say, then uh, and you're not coming back to your breath, then you're, you want something different than what it is, uh, that's where you're going to suffer. And uh, <clears throat> it's uncomfortable in my life right now. And I keep on coming back to that. Well, they just have to be with it, and you know that's it. I'm oh, sorry, but did you say things are comfortable or uncomfortable? Uncomfortable. So, <clears throat> you know, you just—that's what's going on. You have to come back. You know, you can't change it. And, <clears throat> so you just gotta be with it and not try to not try to solve anything and want anything to be different. So, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Good evening, Shane. Hi, everybody. Um, the thing I took away from this was one of the primary teachings is to remove yourself from your thoughts, your feelings, and just take it as it is in the moment. That is what all of the, the followers did. They didn't listen, heed the Buddha's advice because they started put, applying themselves to his teachings when you're supposed to be doing the exact opposite of that. So it's not about how I think things should be run. It's not about how this makes me feel or I think it should be a different way. It's relinquishing control and just uh, being in a state of uh, presentness, I guess. I don't. I don't mm -hmm. I'm, I'm blanking. Reference the right point word. to what is occurring. Being yeah. in a state of being. So I, I think that's what I took away the most out of that, and and. Uh, the, out of all its teaching, the simplicity is the, is the most brilliant part about it because then it makes it achievable to almost everybody. Mm -hmm. I you. think Shane's wrong. You think he's wrong? I think everybody <coughs> could do it. Mm. <laughs> I think if I can do it, anybody can do it. That's right. Thank you, Shane. Your name again? I'm sorry. John. John, how are you doing? Good. Uh, first time here, new to this, so I'm not gonna come to any place saying I'm gonna make any comments about what you guys are talking about. Other than um, the associations, Larry, we were talking about just yesterday about the simplification of things, overcomplicating things and bringing things down to simplest form, seems to be a theme that's going on. Um, it's funny because as a parent, you know, I talk to my son and he he can literally hear something different from what I say. Mm. And the uh, same thing can happen with my relationships. When I talk to anybody, I can hear something different from what they said because of my internal filter, just as much as my son's filter. And I think, from what I'm hearing, this may be about taking away that filter and just, you know, the, the lessons as they are versus my perception or everybody else's perception of those lessons. 
that's all I have. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh... The cognize is just the cognized. It's not personal. It's have no substance that can't be personal, but that's the clinging nature of an aggregate. So you're really describing the endpoint of what we're trying to do here. It's that development of mindfulness and really making that restraint wise versus that willpower restraint that we all rely on. And I know I've said it recently, but that kind of restraint is like a muscle and that type of restraint will give out versus restraint that's developed through wisdom and understanding the aggregates. And uh, so, thank you. That's good insight. Larry, good evening. Good evening. Thank you, Mark. Um, <clears throat> as always, I'm very happy to be here. And <clears throat> I didn't know when I came that you were going to be teaching tonight. And so when I heard that, I was very much looking forward to it. And uh, I think um, most of you heard this before, but I'm here because uh, I was many years ago seeking something a little more clear, a little bit more um, perhaps simple. I'm not even sure what I, uh, but I, but I knew in all the seeking that I've been doing prior to that time that there was a lot of contradictory natures in different lineages or different teachings mm -hmm. and and I found benefit in all of them I, mean, I, 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 I found that the clarity in what I sometimes refer to as the Eastern thought and philosophy was so much more well developed than um, my Western upbringing and, and, and I was just drawn to it mm -hmm. and but at the same time um, Probably frustrated as as uh, as as this individual was that you were referring to, um, and so I, I, a word that comes to mind for me is just the relief that I feel and um, relying on this, and when I am uncomfortable as. No. Brett. Brett, sorry. When I'm uncomfortable, like what I think Brett was talking about, and I experience that with some regularity, just to return to the um, these eight path factors and, and, and take comfort, and that's all I've got to do. Mm. I mean, it's, yeah, as imperfect as... Uh, as, as, as I can be. Um, I don't beat myself up about that as much as I used to. I just go back, as we keep saying, back to the breath, but back to the teaching, back to the, um, yeah, the simplicity of it. And, uh, and, um, and, I, and I like that 
when I hear, and I heard it tonight, I always loved it, you know, that the Buddha only taught two things, you know, that, that there is dukkha and there's a cessation of dukkha. There is suffering and there's a cessation of suffering, and that's all. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's, a, it's and, 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 and just to stick with, just to stick with that, because even as I'm saying these things, I'm, I'm, my mind wants to wander off and give you some examples of other things, mm -hmm. other, other things I'm involved with, and draw some comparisons to those things. But um, yeah, just to stick with this is um, a very, to me, incredibly attractive nature of what I experience every time I sit with you and all the others here. So thank you again for your teachings. Tonight. Thank you. Thank you, sir. I'm sorry, I forgot Jimmy. you. Jimmy, how are you tonight? I'm good. Um, anything that I can do to quiet my mind or get centered, <clears throat> I'll embrace. I'm sitting here tonight, my mind was saying, they're too rigid, this ain't for you. <laughs> it's yapping away. I think we've all been there. Huh? We've all been there. Yeah, yeah. we all been there. So, uh, but the teaching, I found uh, quite educational and it made a lot of sense, you know, like the history, very interesting. I do like to learn about the people, sometimes we fly by that name, and uh, there's so much history and I just love putting to learn about that person that was speaking to the Buddha and to understand that you know, he was a forest dweller and was happy to be that and you know he was the example that the Buddha had for the Sangha this is how you should be and uh, so I, I, like, I like to flesh out the story and this is one of those that you know, it doesn't get deep into doctrine and, you know, you really have to dig into it. So I had some time, so I enjoy these. So, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. How are you? Yeah. Hi. <laughs> thank you. Mm -hmm. I, I, um, I don't know that much. It's the second time I've been here. Hmm. So, um, I don't have a history of it, but, you know. In a sense, from what I, it, it seems like there are some parallels to um, the the Buddhist teaching and the and the the shooting stars off of it, you know, mm -hmm. going into different realms. There's a parallel to the breath and the mind, mm -hmm. and that it's almost like the process is. It's acted out in the way that others were trying to distract from the breath or the Buddha teaching. So mm -hmm. It seems like there's a little parallel in there. Yeah. Thank you. Again, that's it's craving for things to be different. That in any organization and certainly here you, are, you have the Buddha people 
that spent time with him and they were still trying to tweak it so accommodate that I do want nicer robes and I want to be able to eat twice a day and I want better lodging and I want to take a partner again it's look at the Vinayas it's 600 pages of rules and it started with five five pages Five, five rules. Five rules, and then they tweaked Just it. Just by living together, we're yeah. in the same community. Yeah, and then they tweaked it to, I think, monastics, I think it's up to 10 or 14. And uh, I guess you need that for any organization to get, give structure, but... But don't you, see, don't you feel like you need it just so you can have the purity? Because the, the we, it's only there's a relativity there. Right. You're saying the roles, you need the roles? No, you need the, 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 the people that are trying to distract from the basic teaching mm -hmm. in order to con continually press the simplicity of, of the original teaching, mm -hmm. right? Without it, without others trying to alter things. And I'm not for or against either one, but mm -hmm. <laughs> just without that, there's no coming back to the, in, you know, endorsing and continually to enforce and, and enforce, endorse, <laughs> uh, stay in that simplicity, mm -hmm. you know, with the, without that other part, it, it might not be as clear. You need the others to be like the benchmark for what it is, what yeah. you're saying? I mean, just to, I mean, in, in anything. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you need a, the thorn in you so you can pull the thorn out to say, oh, I don't have a thorn in me. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and your dhamma gets you to the point where you can take the thorn out yourself yeah. without resenting the fact of where you got it. Yeah. Because you understand that all of that, including the groups that you're mentioning, are just part of human life. They're yeah, that's just a secondary, but yeah. it's a necessary, that's the life, secondary aspect of life. Right? That's where I might argue with you about being necessary, be, and only because it's what's occurring. And so, necessary or not necessary, ultimately is it really, does it matter in that situation? Yeah, really it's what's not. occurring. Yeah. You know, it, I, the best way to deal with somebody who's in your face screaming at you is to accept it, isn't it? Does mm -hmm. it mean it's, it's wonderful? But you accept it, and so this the practice that you're that you're learning about right now is about how to live in all of those situations, including the people that are sticking a thorn in your foot, and just being at peace and understanding this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am. Maintain a conflict-free mind. You're, you're, you show great insight into what we're doing here. After just a couple of classes, so keep coming. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, Laura. Hi, David. Thank you so much for that teaching, and thank you, everyone, for your comments. It's really helpful listening. I guess what I was hearing is, like uh, Ileana was just saying, was you know the first noble truth that, and John, you know, obviously, dukkha occurs. It's here, and um, like what you were saying, David, and uh, some of the others as well. Um, we're kind of echoing it that it really requires that although it's simple you know that the truth is simple but it requires that high fidelity i like that you use that word because then it 
fidelity, persistence, mm-hmm. having wise restraint from a straying mind or a mind that always kind of wants to stray off somewhere else, but just returning to breath and body. So, thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. And just that, as Nanda said, the most important thing is the Sangha. And the well-focused Sangha is even more important. And without that, can only be confusion and schisms and mm-hmm. you know, the breaking up of the Sangha. And sometimes the Sangha is John on a Thursday with Dr. Kevin and nobody else. And sometimes it's the full room. I hate to say it, but those are my favorite clothes. Those were. <laughs> I used to listen to them. <laughs> so, uh, thank you. Well, how are you? Mm, I'm good, thank you. Uh, it, it's telling that he uses that metaphor of counterfeit gold mm. to describe those uh, those teachings that have gone astray. <coughs> it's, it's, it's equally uh, attractive as real gold, but it's just a whole lot easier to get to, to get, to get some. Uh, it's just, because uh, I've, I've spent, you know, decades enthralled by the, the counterfeit gold. Mm. It, it, it is attractive. It's not even that it is. You, you believed in it. I mean, are you, I'm not going to say 100%, but you believed it 100%. It was something that you well, were sure it, of. Yeah, at that yeah. point, it was it was the best thing going. Yeah. As well, you know, because I hadn't I hadn't seen this. So, well, I was talking about Osho. Yeah. So for um, to be around that that counterfeit stuff, um, it's actually a little difficult to extract yourself. Because you have to do uh, quite a bit more work to uh, to get the real gold. So what failed? What what failed? I just well, it was like it it, it was um, it wasn't legal tender. I couldn't really do anything with it. Mm. That that was that was the real thing. It was it was frustrating because it promised a whole lot. And he was a master distractor, wasn't he? Not yeah. to put him down. It was, oh, this yeah. was he what was we wanted. This is what we asked for in spiritual teachings. Brilliant from orator. He was. He was. Uh, he was charming. Uh, you know, we had. Uh, he was an intellectual out the max. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he started out as a, as a philosophy professor and a debater, and man, could he do that? Mm-hmm. But. When, it, when you can't come down to it, it's you. You try to put it in practice, and you realize there really isn't a, a, a practice, and and there aren't really any results. You look around you, your fellow uh, disciples, and you see basically confusion and, and you know individual interpretations of stuff, or or just you know hollowly. Uh, 
voicing the same things that that the teacher has, the master has has, has taught you. Uh, and it just after a while, you realize if I, I'm trying to, you know, I'm I'm trying to to apply this in in my real life. And you're trying to do what you were told. Yeah, because and it because falls you respect short. it, yeah. you revere who told you. Yeah, and it you just know. falls short. And then you know, and then coming to this where on on future, you never did what I told you. No, I never, never did. And it was really it's like Ron 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 is if I say this often. If you want to look up right effort in the dictionary, you'll see his picture because <laughs> he doubted me, he doubted us, but he stayed with it because he saw this little shred of truth for me. Uh, he stayed with it. You were on the second or third retreat, and you said the Eightfold Path is a bunch of nonsense, isn't it? Oh yeah. <laughs> what is all this stuff? I don't get it. Yeah. And, and but, but it, you know that that inkling of something is working here. Uh, that uh, that just kept me, and and I I, I used my my uh, my doubt and my my. Um, an old hippie, uh, uh, you know, banging up against authority and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I wanted to prove them wrong. And in the end, I couldn't. So, that, that, you know, the, the, that's when the, the, the counterfeit gold finally uh, lost its, its shine. Can I ask you this, Ron? You, you, and I, I never took it as a uh, mean argument. I took it as a skillful argument. Mm -hmm. But when you finally decided that, yeah, this was for you, it wasn't because you finally agreed with me. You experienced a Dhamma, and that's what you agreed with, not not this teacher or any other teacher. No, I finally saw the the the, the practicality of yeah. of the teaching. That's what yeah. Buddha kept saying. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's that's the only thing. Because I've spent you know a lifetime you know, arguing uh, as an intellectual with other intellectuals, and and I knew that that was not the answer. That was that was finally you know after doing that for 50 years that was clear that this was not the answer. So having a practice uh, and getting constant reinforcement in that practice. This is working. Yeah. yeah. We had the place to do it. We had the well focused saga. Yeah, right. We could give a lot of that credit to Matt because without Matt, he would be wherever. Right. He wouldn't be here. And I wasn't taking any naps either. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. David, thank you very much for the teaching. Um, I was just going to continue on what Ram said. And sort of what John just mentioned about Epicico, um, seeing for yourself. And you know, the question occurred, or the thought occurred to me. You know, how would you know with what you're dealing with is real, is fake gold or not? And you wouldn't until you've come along and actually been shown what real gold is, or mined it out of the earth, or smithed it yourself, or mm -hmm. had the metallurgical capabilities to put it together elementally. You wouldn't know. And by coming to the Dhamma and having the three jewels of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. You're able to, in time and through time in the Dhamma, your inquiries are answered. Your questions will be answered. If, if, if you do practice restraint and maybe don't ask the question, keep practicing, put another day into the Dhamma, mm -hmm. you'll probably find that the Buddha will speak to your question 
down the road. It's, it's, he, he gets to it all. It's perfectly engineered. You know, there's no need to fact check the Dhamma or test it or pull it apart or mm-hmm. that's, that's, it's right on the board there. I mean, there's two paths. That's the path that will continue ignorance. You're going to continue chasing your tail. There's countless stories about it. You'll hear about them if you keep coming around here. Or you can follow the path of someone who, for 45 years, taught a way to liberate yourself from the yoke of stress and suffering. So thank you for maintaining that integrity tonight. Thank you. And in past teachings of this suit that John refers to, the Kalamas, and because of where they were situated, they would just have teacher after teacher rolling through and you know the Buddha basically said you'll know if it doesn't feel right you know if it will f-. you know they weren't educated they you know they were confused and uh, he gave them the basics and no promises if it doesn't work they basically said why should you follow the other he said you shouldn't you find something valuable. You mentioned the word fidelity earlier. It's almost as if you use the word resonance. You know, mm-hmm. you'll you'll know truth when you encounter it, experience, hear it. You know, when it's actually in your mind, and when you follow what someone who's teaching the truth, you know, did or does, then we'll pass the litmus test. Yes. Each and every time, in the times when it. I have confusion because I want it to be different. So, Matt. Thank you for the teaching, David. Really great Sangha discussion. Um, you know, David, something that you just said resonates with what John had said earlier about perception. And, and I think that, you know, what is restraint? in this context here, you know. This is the restraint developed through jhana meditation, concentration, meditative absorption allows for the development of restraint, wise restraint, to not automatically default to your preferences. Automatically default to your appetites automatically default to your condition and have something that through wise restraint through the development of concentration through jhana meditation through deepening levels of meditative absorption you're not habitually and automatically clicking into those things and that's restraint and Wisdom comes out of being able to be aware of that as it's happening. Because if I'm if I'm aware that I'm not running whatever's occurring coming at me through my senses through all of my likes and dislikes and preferences and appetites and I can let that sensation come, take over my nervous system, recede, 
and pass away. That's practicing restraint. And that's one moment that is now free of craving. That's karma. And that's karma. So it... Uh, and that that has to be directly experienced. It can't be can't be told to you because nobody listens to anything. True. Well, according to Siddhartha, it. we should we should find out for yourself. That's right. So cool for Larry bringing it back, Hippasico, and mm. um, yeah. Thank you, David. Really good. Thank Thanks. you for the teaching, John. Uh, Teacher John. You've never heard me say this before, and it's really not true, but I'm speechless. <laughs> I always have a lot to say. Uh, it, it's remarkable um, when you're well-versed in the Dhamma and you present it in a simple way, even people who have never heard it before can get an understanding of what it is. And that that uh, speaks well of you, David, but also to the, this well-informed and well-focused Sangha that can, that can actually carry that. Uh, you mentioned uh, fidelity, and that really is a good a good word, fidelity. Mm -hmm. the, um, to hold in mind that we're, we're, we're maintaining fidelity to this thing. It's the one thing. That's all that we have to do uh, to keep the Dhamma pure. Um, and you mentioned the Triple Refuge, so I wanted to say what that was. The Triple Refuge, for those that don't know, is we take refuge in the Buddha, but not in a magical, mystical being or a godlike being. We take refuge in the knowing that a human being awakens. He always referred to himself, not as anything special, just as a rightly self-awakened one. He did it himself. And then he taught others to do exactly the same thing, to become rightly self-awakened through this Eightfold Path. Uh, and so the Eightfold Path and the structure that the Eightfold Path is taught is called the Dhamma. So we take refuge in a human Buddha, we take refuge in his Dhamma that's still here, and then we take refuge in a well-informed and well-focused Sangha. Uh, all three of those are required to develop the Dhamma, but all three of them are still present here. That's, that's kind of a remarkable thing. And then just quickly about the Buddha and how he found these things. The Buddha was born a, a prince, a very wealthy young man in his father's kingdom. And even at a very young age, he found that uh, less than satisfying. And as soon as he could, he was 29 when he was able to do it, he left that behind because he, even though he had all the riches and all the power that anybody could want, he found it disappointing. And the fact that he found it disappointing concerned him and intrigued him. How could I be someone with, it, with all this? And then he went out into the world and he saw true suffering for the first time. And for the next six years, he spent his life trying to figure out that this true nature of suffering, that there's a way to put it into it. And what he realized is that stress and suffering is a part of having a human life. Meaning, as a consequence of having a life, Every human being is prone to the same things. The, the, the pain of having a human life, meaning birth is suffering. Getting sick, every human being is going to get sick. That's painful. We're going to age and we're going to die. We're going to, we're going to chase after things that we think we need and we're going to get things we, we hope we don't get. And all of that is simply a description of every human being's life at its most basic level. When we don't accept those basic realities of life, now taught as Four Noble Truths, we make, we make all these things personal, and that in, is where we start contributing to the stress that's inherent in the world. That's where the I'm making or the personalization. 
some would, would refer to uh, a famous line that said, self-centeredness is the root of all our troubles. This is the same thing at a, I would say, a deeper level. Uh, and, as, and, and so the, the, the Buddha left the kingdom seeking understanding. And as he looked back on that over the years, he always called that a confining place. And he liberated himself by putting all of that behind him. And that's not to say that we have to do the same. Metaphorically, uh, the Buddha teaches that we simply establish seclusion on our cushion first, in jhana meditation, and then we can take that seclusion out into our moment-by-moment -moment life uh, and, and maintain the Dhamma in that. And so we develop the Dhamma in this moment, in life as life occurs. And it, it, it takes a bit of conceptualizing at first, but David did a great job of, of taking the concept of the Dhamma and bringing it down to his most practical and I would say easily doable manner, but we got to keep it up. You know, so you said to me that you, that you, you like what you heard, and I think you've heard the saying, if you like what you hear, keep coming. <laughs> and one more thing, I'll close with, the, uh, with, with something else we all know, and it's this thing called the serenity prayer, uh, to to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That wisdom, wise restraint, is what this practice is about, to know what it is that we can change. And leave everything else that we know we can't change aside. And what can we change? The only thing we can ever change is the way we think. And most importantly, how we think about ourselves in relation to the world. Thank you, Jim. Well, if you spend enough time in this room, you will get five or six or twelve teachings. And thank you everyone. Uh, we'll end tonight. Settle down. We'll finish with the Metta Sutta. So find your relaxed meditation posture. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none, through anger or ill will, wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings radiating kindness over the wor entire world, spreading upward to the skies and downward to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense of desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, David. Thank you. Bye, Jane. Bye, Brian. Thank you, David. Look forward to seeing you retreat. Oh, so do I. <laughs>
Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.